Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It's Wednesday night, and that means it's time for the happiest hour on the internet, Friends and Fiction. Welcome to our show as we celebrate the launch of my new novel, Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. And we have a really amazing special guest for you tonight, Richard Paul Evans, the king of Christmas. We have so much to look forward to tonight. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction, New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores. Tonight, because as the song says, we need a little Christmas right this very minute, we'll meet Richard Paul Evans and celebrate my new Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. Yay! (laughs) And for the past five weeks, we have partnered with Warwick's in beautiful La Jolla, California, as our featured independent bookseller. You know that we started this from the beginning to support independent booksellers. And Warwick's is the country's oldest continuously family-owned and operated bookstore. So they are our ideal dream partner for our mission here on Friends in Fiction. Browse their selection, which includes our books, as well as the latest by tonight's guest, Richard Paul Evans. You know that every week we partner with Parade Magazine online. We stream from their Facebook page and we have an original essay in their online magazine every week. This week, Christy right here reflected on the year her family became the Griswolds of National Lampoon's (laughs) Christmas Vacation, of course. You can find that essay linked to on our Facebook page and in our Instagram bio and on Parade.com. Um, a few years ago that we, um, got some really over the top Christmas decorations for our house. Some of you might know that my mom and I have an interior design blog called design chic. And, um, it was really fun. We got to partner with this company and they decorated our house to the max for Christmas. So you'll have to read to find out more, but it ended up a few years later, kind of inspiring Christmas and peach tree bluff in some ways. And, um, just made me remember, how fun it is just sometimes to do something that's fun and a little bit different and, you know, try on a life that's a little different from yours, even if it just means hundreds of thousands of twinkle lights. <laughs> so I want to know what is your favorite part of prepping for the holidays? MKA, can we start with you since you're a big holiday prepper? Don't say no to me. It's my launch night. <laughs> you don't use the word no. I would, I would never. Okay. So, uh, if you know me, you know that my theory of decorating is too much is just enough. Yeah. So I go totally overboard with decorating our house with bins and bins of vintage Christmas treasures that I have been hoarding for decades. I put on my favorite Phil Spector Christmas album and I wait for the moment when Darlene's love sings 
Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, my favorite. And then I fling the shiny bright ornaments and the bottle brush trees and the paper mache snowmen and the Santas and the elves and plaid everything all over the house. And then I'm happy. And then you have a party and we come. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I like that last part. I like that too. Yeah. You know, for us, it's just setting the stage in the house. It's the, you know, the fire crackling in the fireplace, which I know you guys don't believe me because I live in Florida, but it does get chilly here and we have a fireplace. So, I mean, we wait till it gets to like 65 degrees. We're like, Ooh, it's fire. (laughs) I mean, it's like 85 today. You can see by my outfit. The fireplace is made of cardboard, right? Christmas. Yeah, exactly. No, it yeah. really is. It's a nice old and it may, fireplace. And it makes a crackling sound, but it's not real. Right. <laughs> you guys let me believe in my fireplace, okay? No, but for us, it's not really Christmas until we've done the rounds of the um, the Disney hotels. We get on the monorail and we go to the Grand Floridian, the Polynesian, um, and the Contemporary, the three that are on the monorail track. And they all decorate beautifully for the, for the holidays, including a life-size gingerbread house at the Grand Floridian. So we do that. We drink our hot chocolate. We listen to Christmas carols. And then it's Christmas. I'm here too early. We have done that tonight. Too early. But we, we're hoping she sees some fireworks tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. For us, it's just, you know, decorating, stockings on the mantle, Amy Grant's Christmas in Tennessee playing in the background and sparkly lights everywhere and by january my kids plead can you stop with the christmas music already because (laughs) that is the only thing allowed in the house from thanksgiving till january 1st is fun christmas music and then you know what happens your kids get older and they lose some of their cynicism and they say hey mom why what a, what you? happened to that little thing that you used to, yes. that little guy that used to put, and you were like, what? The you, Santa whose hips dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. have, like, mom used to put this little, um, there was this little tree and it was like porcelain, but it had these little holes in it and had lights inside oh, it. Oh yeah, those yeah, are yeah. in now. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, whatever happened to that? Like, why is it not in my bathroom? Yeah. Mom, I hope you're looking for that right now. Okay, now speaking of celebrations, we have to pause for a moment to toast for both Patty and Christy. Yeah. Patty's book. Oh, I almost had a wine already. Came out last week. And Christy's is out this week and launch weeks. Yeah. You know, they're hard on authors. Especially as yeah. for those authors who work as hard as Patty and Christy do on the road and we know that from personal experience because we've been with them yeah so let's raise a toast a glass to these beautiful wintry books toast. and the authors who wrote them Clink. cheers <laughs> okay now let's talk about our guest richard paul evans richard is not just a new york times best-selling author but a number one New York Times bestselling author and USA Today author, bestselling author of more than just a teeny weeny bit, 40 novels. Wow. (laughs) He is, in fact, there are more than 35 million copies of his books in print worldwide. That's three and then five, not 3.5 translated into more than 24 different languages. Richard has won the American Mother's Book Award, the Romantic Times Best Women's Novel of the Year Award, the German Lesper Blah 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 Award for Romance. <laughs> <laughs> I took college German, okay? And two, first, 
it paid off <laughs> in a big way. Yeah, that you know, I forgot University of Georgia. That, that makes all the sense. Oh, that explains it. That explains it. Okay. Okay. There are also two first place storytelling world awards. He's also a five time recipient of the Religion Communicators Council's Wilbur Award. Richard also founded the Christmas Box International, which is an organization devoted to maintaining emergency children's shelters and providing services and resources for abused, neglected, or homeless children, teens, and young adults. As a result of his humanitarian work, Richard has received the Washington Times Humanitarian of the Century Award and the Volunteers of America National Empathy Award. That's amazing. Yeah. He currently lives in Salt Lake City with his wife, Carrie, and their children and grandchildren. His heartwarming new novel, The Christmas Promise, will be released next month. We're so excited to have Richard with us today. Sean, can you bring him on, please? Hi. Welcome, Hi, Richard. Richard. Hello. We are so glad. Patty and Christy, congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, we're so happy to have you here tonight. And, um, as you told us backstage, we'd love for you to shed a little light on this for our audience because we've we've been talking about, you know, all these printing problems and paper shortages and things like that happening. And you were actually that really actually happened to you. So will you tell us a little bit about the Christmas promise and um, and a little bit about the printer delays? Well, they were going to release the book on November 2nd, which is election day, not the best day to release. And uh, but we got all ready for it. And my um, assistant slash publicist, she had, we had more than 300 events set up. And then we got two weeks ago, we got noticed that my book was um, that the supply chain demand had bumped it and bumped it a week. So it could come out November 9th. So we, she had to call all the interviews, she had to call just everything oh and change God. it. So she changed it and no lie, the day she finished changing everything, uh, the day after we got a call and they said, we are bumping your book again. We can't have books in time. And so um, November 23rd, oh. coming out the, the week of Thanksgiving. And um, my agent, of course, went ballistic. It's like, it's, it's like, it's not my, they're like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's like they can't get books. There's not enough people working. There's not. It's like it's like if we don't have a book, we don't have a book. So, oh wow, what a nightmare! So terrible. But but, you know, you know, my first book, the Christmas box, um, because I self-published it, and it sold out. It, I had, I had done. um, Gosh, I think we had done like twelve thousand copies, and or I did seven thousand copies. It sold out, and then the first of December. 10,000 more hit the streets and they sold out in three days, just locally. And um, I had all these ads running and everything. And it's like, well, you can't buy the book. I told them, it's like, thanks for buying it. But you can't buy the book. And people like two women got in a fist fight over the last copy of a book. <laughs> and, and what and what I learned is you really want to sell a book, tell people they can't have it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I told people that it's like this book, if it sells out before Christmas, they printed a lot of copies, but if it sells out before Christmas, you either get an ebook or you're out of luck. And so the pre-orders have been really high. So it might be a good thing. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good, you gotta, you gotta make lemonade sometimes, right? So good for you for doing that. Well, can you tell us a little about the Christmas promise, please? Yeah, Christmas promise. um, It's, I took a Bible story of the the prodigal son and I made it the prodigal daughters. There's two, Mm. these two, uh, they they call them, it's Rochelle and Michelle. and they, They go by Ricky and Mickey. Uh, they're identical twins who haven't spoken to each other in eight years. 
And uh, Rochelle, who the story is told from, she is the studious, she's a PICU nurse. She's very intense. And her sister, Michelle, just likes to play and party. And um, so like right after they graduated from high school, Rochelle went off to uh, college. And um, Michelle, of course, went to tour Europe and with a boyfriend. And so um, it's their story. It's about it's about finding what true love really is. And what has happened is her sister has died and she never mm -hmm. got to to make up. And so and she's one day she's at a, her book writing club and this man shows up and um, it's a love story. And she starts he helps her start to see that maybe things aren't the way she thought they were. And so it's, it's fun taking what was a Bible story. I, I think most people won't notice it. But really um, focusing on the older son, that maybe the older son is the bigger problem than the younger son. In this than case. the one so, who and, took off. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, and so it's, um, I was, you know, when I finished the book, I thought, I wonder if anyone will like this. It's gotten really great national reviews. And um, that's, that's always a good thing. I wasn't sure why. <laughs> it's like, oh, I was, I, and so people are really liking it. If only they could. Um, actually get it out there. That'd be if they could read it, they would really like it. They, yeah. might, they might. I hope they do. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm always scared. It's like, maybe this is the book that ruins me. This oh, yeah. Me. Oh, oh, I that every, <laughs> every, every, time, is, every single time. <laughs> remember Notting Hill when uh, Julie Roberts says, that, and they'll discover I can't act. Yeah. Yes. It's always like, okay, I've written 42 New York Times bestsellers, but maybe this is one that realize I really can't write after all. They're right. going to so. pull the plug on me. I know yeah, they I are. Yeah. I thought every time. Yeah. Okay, so Richard, you have this great um, this great line in the book. The father tells the girls, he gives them these necklaces, right? And he says, these opals look identical, but the fire inside each is completely unique, just like the two of you. So these two women, though, are at odds when one of them, as you just mentioned, is dying and suddenly the other one is left to spend a lifetime, essentially, trying to atone for these sins in a way. Why did you choose this theme um, to focus on? Why did you choose this biblical inspiration? And why did this story strike a chord with you in a way that made sense to retell for Christmas? Well, I, as um, a newly born again Christian, I'm fascinated with the concept of grace and the idea I, I really used to think i was a pretty good guy and um to all of a sudden realize that that maybe i'm not as good as i think i am and that i'm broken and then to actually to be free from judging others has been an incredible uh, release and that's really what the book is about it's about accepting others and saying look i'm broken admitting that it's broken um that none of us are as good as we think we are and then to take that same grace and apply it to others and, to, and then you start to see love as it really is. And so the end does, people are crying at the end of it. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. There was a line at the end of this book that absolutely took my breath away. Have you ever had that happen? It's like, oh my gosh, you did not say that. You did not. And <laughs> my, my, my agent said the same thing. She goes, it dropped me to the floor when I read that. She goes, I couldn't believe it. I go, I know it's intense. Um, but every now and then you get this little gifts. And it's like this one line and you'll know it. You'll know when you hit it because you're like, I can't believe that just happened and people just start crying. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. That's amazing. Those little gifts are what keep us writing, right? Exactly. Because if we if we didn't get that happening once in a while where we surprise ourselves, we we'd probably quit altogether. Because as our Mary Kate says, the self loathing would finally win out. But um, <laughs> you're <laughs> Your novels are Christmas stories, 
Absolutely. But as you just said, they pack a tremendous emotional punch. From your very first novel, The Christmas Box, which you self-published, and then it took off. You said you wrote it as a Christmas gift. Um, It's about a woman who mourns the death of her child to The Christmas Promise 26 years later when twins are parted by death. Your novels have a lot to do with happiness and a lot to do with joy. And yet at the same time, there is this immense toll of grief and how we heal from that. Why does that message resonate with you? Because you started there and then this one has the same things. Well, when, you know, after I wrote the first book, I didn't want to be typecast. And so I started to move away and write different books. I did the, the Christmas box. I thought, well, how do I follow up a book that's a number one international bestseller? And um, there's a lot of pressure. And so I wrote Timepiece and it was a movie. And it's like, um, I, I, I stuck with it. I wrote kind of a trilogy. And then I moved up. It's like, I don't want to be the Christmas guy. And um, my sales were really high, you know, back in those days. They were so high. And it, but these, they were falling every year a little bit, just a little bit. It's like, okay, I peaked, I peaked young. I was 29. And um, then I thought, with one of my books, I barely hit the New York Times bestseller list. I thought, okay, maybe I just have one more book. And so I wrote, um, I thought, I'm going to write a Christmas book again. And that book was called Finding Noel. It absolutely exploded. They went back for an extra 100,000 copies the first week. It's like, you know what? Maybe you should dance with who brought you to the dance. (laughs) And and so I I thought, you know, I love Christmas. I don't need to be ashamed of Christmas. And so I just just embraced it and leaned into it. And um, that's what's happened. So some of the books are more... Christmassy is that a word uh, than yeah. others? Some sometimes the Christmas is just a setting, and sometimes it's a deeper meaning because you know, as Dickens says, sometimes Christmas to me is a time when we can look at each other as fellow passengers to the grave, and yeah. we, and hopefully like we look at each other with a little more humanity. And so that's why I like the scene. I think Christmas gives a lot of that, um, and so I, I I always make a at least a nod, you know, to Christmas in my books. Well, the theme is always there, but you definitely bring people to tears. So, I mean, maybe it's because Christmas does open us up in different ways than any other time of the year. Christmas is when we our hearts are a little softer towards family and loss and hope. And yeah. but I've never I've, I've always like trying to figure out why things hit the way they hit. Mm-hmm. And Christmas novels do that, and yours even more yeah. so. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to remind everyone really quickly that if you have any questions for Richard, you can drop them in the chat, and um, we will hopefully have time to take one or two of those from you guys. Um, but I have a question for you right now, Richard. Um, what is it? You know, you've you've made a name for yourself, as you said, as uh, the king of Christmas fiction, and you know, have really sort of leaned into that. So what is it that appeals to you so much about writing about the holiday season? And how have you managed to keep each of these new stories so fresh? Well, every every book has a different theme. Um, I had the chance when I, my first book hit it big and, and my publisher is like, yeah, anything you want. And I said, well, I want to I want to have lunch with Mary Higgins Clark. Yeah. And so um, they set up a lunch and it was really she was delightful. And um but I asked her something. I said, okay, you've been doing this a long time and all your books are bestsellers. How come you're still around? 
you know, you, that, and uh, what is your secret? And she said, I look at every book as the best book I ever wrote. Oh, wow. And, and uh, it's like, I'm going to write the best book I can. And sometimes, you know, the magic happens. Sometimes it doesn't as much. But I thought of that, that integrity. And it's like, okay, every book is going to be the best book I can write. And that, you know, if that means I'm writing in the middle of the night, then, you know, that's what we, you know, that's what happens. And, and you know, you, you bleed through it. And that's, that's why. But so Christmas is, again, it's just kind of a niche I fell into. And when the New York Times coordinated me the king of Christmas fiction, it's like, well, let's grab that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that crown on. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I think it's a pretty good one. I, yeah. I like that title a lot. <laughs> um, Mary Kate, do you have a question? I do. You know, we touched on this a little bit uh, when we got when we before everybody came on. But in addition to your success as an author, you have not one, not two, not three, but four movies made out of your books. And we're wondering what role you've had in bringing your books to life in the movies. And also, I know you shared with us that you have some news about a feature film coming up. Yeah. So if you would talk a little bit about that and what your role is in the in the transformation from your book to the film. Um, OK, so the, I actually have um, eight movies. Oh, oh my so, gosh. Um, I can't I'm, tell. So many very, your website. <laughs> <laughs> I need to update my website. Yeah, um, but I'm very—it's—I'm very excited. I have my first feature film, and um, it stars Justin Hartley of This Is Us. Yeah, that's awesome. He's, he, he's the executive producer, and Charles Shire, who, if you look him up, he's—I've seen at least five of his major movies. He does a lot with Steve Martin, and um, anyway, I'm very excited to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but that comes out next year. Um, but up to that point, um, I, I don't know, Mary Kay, I haven't had. They didn't give me that much connection. And when I did my first book, I, I sold the Christmas box to a little local producer, Bonneville, who then turned it to CBS. I mean, they were going to change the name of it. And all of a sudden, they paid me, I mean, like like $30,000 or $17,000 for it. And as a reporter from TV Guide said, it's like, you kind of lost a million dollars on it. Go, yeah, but I was a kid. I was pretty excited. And um, it um they changed a lot they were going to change the name of it and all of a sudden they have the number one book in the nation and then they're and i remember i'm doing an interview and i knew better than to trash my book but they did some made some changes that i never would have made and mm. um and i remember the the reporter for tv guy just kept just goading me like well didn't you hate this didn't you hate this and you knew she had already written the story and finally said look i would have done it different well then she turns into he hates the movie and uh then i get called by the director who screams at me and it was horrible <laughs> and it's like you know it is it is what it is and you know we're talking about possibly doing a, a remake of the christmas box after all these years mm -hmm. and um but so I, I really had very little um connection i i used to do cameos like there, i have one with rob lowe and christopher lloyd and i did That's a cameo awesome. and my kids mocked me they, they laughed so hard because if you've ever seen Pee Wee herman when he walks through the end of the movie he's looking at the camera that was totally me <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, someone here does not belong on this set. And um, and I said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> my kids are going to make fun of me. So uh, other than that, I don't really have a lot of uh, contact or connection on it, which oh, is, wow. which is, yeah, which is, it's, it's actually kind of okay. You know, they just filmed my daughter's movie um, in Rome, and she was upset that she wasn't on the set. Yeah. Um, 
and it's like actually it was Florence, Florence, Italy, and, and um, it's like they kind of do their own thing, and some are closer to others. Hallmark has bought a lot of my things, and they have a formula, and they change, you know, they change a lot of it, but um, they have a formula that's successful, and and um, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Would you talk to us about what you're working on now, and if that's already been optioned um, for the movies? Well, Christmas Promise, I talked to the uh, producer uh, last week who's done six of my movies, and he loves it, and he got another producer involved. It's like, we want this. So we're, we're, they're the ones who got um, Noel Dari turned into a feature. He goes, this thing is, I think it's going to be really big. So that's where we are, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. If, if it happens, it happens. Yeah, but um, it doesn't. Yeah, it's like, I don't, I, I write, I'm a, I'm a book writer. You know, I love writing yeah. books, and um, I don't. I don't write for, for TV or movies. I just, that's what I do. So that's awesome. But, but it's fun. I mean, it's fun to see it. And um, it's kind of cool because I, you know, I have the family over and we all sit down and watch it. And then when my name comes up on the screen based on the book by Richard Paul Evans, they all clap. And, uh, and then it's good. We can turn it off now if we want. And you get, <laughs> your, and you get your own IMDB page, which, right. you know, my children are impressed with. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's right. funny. That's funny. Um, well, I think that we are going to take a few live questions now. We're really, um, we have a lot of questions coming in for you from our readers. Christian, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, sure. Uh, Richard, Jenna O'Brien wants to know, and I think this is great since you just mentioned your daughter. What's it like having your daughter as a writer? Do you give her fatherly encouragement? And would you ever do a joint book or some sort of writing project with her? Oh, Jen, um, first of all, people... I think it was a little bit hard for her. She was my writing assistant and through two of my series, the walk and the Michael Vay series. And, and the Michael Vay series is an international bestseller. She, she really helped me a lot. And that's when I told her after eight years, uh, I, and Jen actually studied this. She went to ASU and studied literature and where I just started writing, I was an ad guy. And I said, Jenna, you, you hear the music as Stephen King says, you hear it, you, you, you could write. And, and she really was res- actually resisted it. And finally, she wrote a book called Carol, Carolina, Carolina, and uh, her writing was wonderful. And the book, there was no book there. There's no plot, as she said. And um, she sent it to an agent, to my agent, took it and didn't do anything with it. And, and it's like, she goes, this is too hard. And I would never, you know what it's like, ladies. I would yeah. never put a child into that much pressure if she wasn't good. It'd be like grabbing your kid and throwing him in the NFL and throwing him out there. It's like, hey, yeah. go play football. I can get you yeah. in. And then they're yeah. going to get killed the first game. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to emotionally do that to my daughter. But it's like, Jenna, you're good enough. And um, she kind of didn't do anything. And I, I and so I, I, I told her, I, she wrote me. She goes, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And I go, no, 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 that's no, you are cut out for this. And, and so I, I contacted my publisher and said, look, I know writing this gal can write. She just needs, she has no editor. She needs some direction. And that's when she wrote love and gelato and the book sold, nice. I think it sold 10 times what they expected. It's huge. Wow. It's huge. I was just in Beverly Hills and her books were all over the on a, on a shelf, which makes me so happy. They didn't that's even awesome. have mine. <laughs> and, but but nowhere in the books does she mention me. There's no connection. No one's ever made that. And so it's sad that some of the local writers actually aren't. Um, they don't really include her because it's like, oh, he's, she's there because of her dad. It's like, no, she's not. She's there because she's talented. Yeah. Wow. And she continues to. She wrote two other follow-up best-selling books. But um, as 
a young woman with children and, you know, his son with some, um, he's has autism and, and it's very challenging. There's times she goes, dad, it's, it's not worth it. You know, maybe I should write later. And she, and so I have nothing but admiration for you, how difficult it is to be a yeah. mother and to write. And it was really, yeah. really hard. And she, she bleeds through them and she has seen me bleed. I mean, she once said yeah. to me, Dad, do you think your readers have any idea how hard you work? It was like four in the morning we're writing. She goes, do you, do you have any idea? And I said, no. uh, they don't know until, but they have at least a quarter million other books they could choose instead of mine. So, yeah, yeah when they pick it up, they know. It's like they deserve that. And so she yeah. took that same work ethic. I mean, I come, from a, I come from a strange kind of family. My dad had a master's degree in social work, but he was also a, a building con contractor. And so we we're always out Saturday morning building, right? So I have a blue collar work ethic. And, and so, but we talk philosophy. And so it created kind of a weird dynamic, uh, Camara. So Jenna's that same way, but um, she struggles with it. Like, is it really worth it? It hurts to write. And people don't, I mean, maybe it doesn't for you, but I, I just no, it does. have a lot of empathy. Oh, yeah. I'm very, very proud of her. I'm very proud of her and just watching the cool things happen with her books. And the, the bigger thing is she was like this. I, I don't read. I'm not a big reader. And that sounds awful. I have uh, Tourette syndrome and OCD and ADHD and OCD. And because of that, I just it, it's hard. I was always put in the slowest reading groups and um, which sounds weird for a writer. Jen was the opposite. She read Gone with the Wind three times when she was when she was nine years old. Wow. And so she wrote the book that she wanted to write because she had read every young adult book that existed. Wow. And in fact, we, we would punish her for reading. That's how bad it was. <laughs> it's like, you go out of your room now. Out, out, out of your room, young lady. You know? Yeah. So, so she, that was her background. So she is, um, in that sense, much more um, literate than I am. That's wow. awesome. You must be proud. Yeah. yeah, you you clearly are, and that's really nice yeah, to see. That's, I think yes. you've spent more time talking about your daughter and her book than yeah. your own. So than your own, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, well, you have been such a great guest. Before you take off, would you mind giving us a writing tip, please? You've certainly um, written your fair share of amazing <laughs> bestsellers, and we could use a little tip. So if you could huh. just, you know. <laughs> yeah, my... my um, the most important thing I would share with anyone who wanted to be a writer is my personal um, epiphany. After I wrote The Christmas Box, here I have a book that sold, um, gosh, more than eight, nine copies. I mean, it was just huge. It was just, and then I'm writing the next book, and I know that everyone has their laser pointers on me. They want to destroy me. I can, You can feel it. You can see it. They're getting ready to attack. And I am under so much pressure, and it's like, okay, we're going to pay you millions of dollars to write another bestseller. And I keep trying to write it and write it. And after six months, I have nothing. And one day I'm out writing. And that's when I had the epiphany that changed my life. I realized I don't know how to write a bestseller. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because when I wrote The Christmas Box, I didn't write it for millions of people. I wrote it for my two little girls to understand something very, very personal. And so I stopped writing for the world. And I started writing for myself. I started to write something that I thought mattered. And I thought, they're going to hate this. It's not going to do well, but it doesn't matter. It's all, it's me. It's all I know. And so I wrote, instead of trying to write broad, I wrote very small. And then the next book was a huge bestseller. And every book has been that way since then. And I'm always surprised when I write something that's very, very personal, um, how many people, whether it's a father in Tokyo 
or you know the book got smuggled into somewhere in Iran. I've, I have I have contraband books in Iran. I have a huge book club in Iran, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's they they like copied my they they stole them. <laughs> they're they're in Farsi, and that's like wow, that's kind of cool though. It's, um, and it's like I just write what's what matters to me, and what we find is that we really have a lot in common, a lot more than we think we do. That's a great, great tip. And I think write what matters to you. Good advice. Like what matters to you. And that is that is yeah. a great way to get to an authentic story. Well, you have been such a great guest. We are so honored to have the king of the Christmas story on our show. Oh, thank you for coming. Um, thank you My for pleasure. coming. Thank you for sharing your advice with us. And um, we cannot wait to read the new book, um, November 23rd. November 23rd. Show the cover. Yes, beautiful cover. You like that? Show it again. It's a gorgeous cover. Beautiful. Yeah. Mary Kay, we got on. Mary Kay said, "Well, I have a copy of that book." It's like what? How did you get? How did you get my that. book? And I don't have a copy of it. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell who's most important here. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thank for you, being Richard. With Thanks us. for joining my us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Take care. We'll look for the book. Can't wait. Oh, that was great. Yeah. So great. All right. Buckle up, Buttercups. <laughs> <laughs> it's launch night for Christie's Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. And we are here to celebrate. <laughs> what is that situation? Okay. This <laughs> is. <laughs> It's a beautiful hat sent to me by my. I'm gonna beg to differ on this situation. <laughs> but wait till you hear what it says, Daddy. What does it say? I'm gonna put. I'm taking it off now because I want. I, this is not about silly hats. This is about a beautiful. Oh my Christmas gosh. book called Christmas okay. in Peachtree Bluff. Hat, but okay. I love it. I love it. I just was I was on it, not expecting it and I wanted to see what it said. What did we'll it say? What, later. what does it say, Mary Kay? No, we'll talk later. We're gonna talk about Christmas and Peach. Okay, well, you better stay tuned for the after show. Okay, right. we're not getting oh, off. Stay for the after show. Okay. Christmas in Peachtree Bluff is the fourth installment in Christie's beloved, enchanting, marvelous, wonderful Peachtree Bluff series just came out yesterday and the four of us actually got to spend the whole weekend together celebrating all of our recent releases with four tour dates across florida look at us we had so much fun can we go back i miss you guys I already i know i know and you there's know, meg i know meg was with us too it was so great oh um, i already feel sad that we're not I together know. christy and i are together yeah we're, we're together <laughs> so yeah. obviously you're already should be offended you're sad i'm right I'm here so for sad. <laughs> I no one here that i love i don't know no of course my christy no i love her okay i'm the only one of the three of you or the three of you others who did not have a wintry release this year. But hearing these ladies talk about their books over the last few days has fully plunged me into that Christmas spirit, which is hard because it's 85 degrees out, as Christy pointed out. So Christy, I just finished your book last week and I cannot wait to talk about it with you tonight. Thank you, Kristen. Okay, let's get started. Christy, I mean, I know what it's about because I not only read it early, I blurbed it, but you tell us 
about Christmas in Peachtree Bluff and what inspired the story. I know you guys are really, I know the three of you are really happy to get to hear this again. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. It's brand new. Wait, what's it about? Before I say that, I have to tell everybody, and hopefully you guys follow along with us on our social media. And so you, if you do, you know that I've been on tour since last Monday. And so I was um, you know, celebrating Patty's launch with her, Once Upon a Wardrobe, and we've been just all over the place. And I feel like this book has been out for like a month, and it came out <laughs> yesterday. So I'm like, tonight, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're finally celebrating the launch. This is so great. Um, but Christmas in Peachtree Bluff is the fourth book in my Peachtree bluff series but it also can be read as a standalone a few years have elapsed since the last book came out so you should be able to just dive right in if you haven't read the rest of the series um but the holiday season is heading toward peachtree bluff and so is the storm of the century in the form of a really giant hurricane and um Sloan, Emerson, and Caroline, who are three grown sisters, all head back to Peachtree Bluff, Georgia, to see their mother, Ansley, with their big families in tow. And um, while they are there, Caroline, who's the eldest daughter, confides in her mother that her daughter, Vivi, who is 15, and is having some 15-year-old behavior, for sure, um, is just giving her such a hard time. And she's sort of at her wit's end with her daughter. And, um, you know, online school is a thing. And so she says, Mom, could you just keep her until Christmas? And if she's in Peachtree Bluff and everything's magical and she's with you and maybe she'll be happy and she won't hate me so much and, you know, we can all have a better holiday season that way. And so Ansley, being the doting mother and grandmother that she is, agrees. But um, Vivi's bad behavior ends up getting herself and her family stuck on the island of Peachtree Bluff during the storm of the century. I mean, Jim Cantori's there. I was just so- going to say that. I was going to say Jim words out of my mouth. That's, that's when they know things are dire. Yes. When Jim Cantori comes. Somebody texted me today, like one of my friends from home, and she said her sister texted her and was like, oh, the storm stud. Have y'all heard him called that? No. No. I was like, I wish she'd said that earlier. I would have called him the storm stud in the book. But anyway, (laughs) our buddy Jim. I've uh, never heard that. Me neither. Hashtag storm stud. Storm stud. Maybe we should tag him in a post that says that. (gasps) We're getting off track. Anyway, (laughs) Jim Cantori is in Peachtree Bluff, which means you know it's bad because he only goes to the worst places. Um, and so exactly. they are yeah. wilder. You, yeah, never, you want never want to come to, come to, your to your town. That's so true. Um, and so they are, uh, they get stuck in Peachtree Bluff and it is up to, and they have not provisioned for this hurricane, by the way. So it's up to Sloan, Emerson and Caroline to not only rescue their family, but also to put Peachtree Bluff back together again, just in time for Christmas. And now you, Christy, you had a little personal experience that inspired this story, right? Yes, um, I did. Thank you for asking. Another so welcome. Sorry for all of you. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so in a few years, well, a few years ago, Hurricane Florence came sweeping through Carteret County where I live and did just tons and tons of damage to the whole county, including my house. So we were out of our house for about 18 months and um, we lived in 11 different places. It was lovely. Um and they kept kicking you out. Yeah, it's a bad house. Well, guys. you know when you don't pay rent. That's why she's staying in a hotel tonight rather than my house. I'm like, I've yeah. heard, I've heard yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have her over here. <laughs> yeah. I forgot I did have her here. 
<laughs> no, but it was so crazy because so many places were um, had so much damage. And so people would say like, oh, you can go like go in our house or you can stay at our house and we would get there and there would be like black mold all over the ceilings. And like they had no idea because they hadn't been home to see their storm damage. Um, but because of like the rental seasons and stuff there, we would like go stay in a place and then there'd be a VRBO coming in or something like that. So um, we moved around a lot and um, it was just crazy. And anyway, I'm glad that's kind of behind us. But um, but yeah, so I knew what it was like to sort of put a house back together and put a town back together after a storm. But what I was really fascinated about was what about the people that stayed? I mean, we evacuated for that hurricane, obviously. I mean, if any anytime mandatory evacuation is mentioned, like I'm out of there, I am not being stuck. And so um, but there were a lot of people that didn't. It's like, you know, we've ridden out every hurricane and we're not leaving. And we had lots of friends that stayed. Um, and I think everyone knew how bad the storm was going to be, but no one knew how long it was going to last. And it was actually a couple of weeks before we were able to get back to even see the damage to our house. So, you know, people were running out of supplies and food and water. And I mean, we were calling friends and saying, like, go to our house. You know, we have bottled water and vodka and, you know, all the things that you need when your power's been out for two weeks. Um, and so, you know, I really just was interested in what it would be like to have been one of the people that stayed behind. And I, I knew for a long time that I wanted to write a book about that. I thought that would be an interesting story, but I knew it was a Peachtree Bluff story and I wasn't going to write any more Peachtree Bluff books. So it wasn't until Christmas of 2020 when I thought, you know, I really want to write a Christmas book that I sort of took the storm idea and the Christmas book idea and put them together into one little Peachtree Bluff package tied with a bow. <laughs> a red bow, a pink bow, a, so, pink bow, a, red bow, a gold bow. <laughs> I know you said that this was a book you wrote for your Peachtree Bluff readers and fans. And I remember you put a call out <laughs> on your Facebook page. So I want you to talk about how your readers influenced what you ended up writing, because we talk a lot on here about our community and how much our readers mean to us. But they are a big reason that you returned to Peachtree Bluff again. And were you thinking about them when you were writing it? Absolutely. So The Southern Side of Paradise came out in 2019. That was what was going to be my last Peachtree Bluff book. And you know how when you when you finish any book, even if you're meaning it for it to be for it to be a standalone. You get those messages from people. Please write another book. Yeah. Please write a sequel. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, most of the time you're thinking, no, I'm not going to do that. And it was like that with Southern Side of Paradise. People would say, oh, we love this family. Please go back to Peachtree. When's the next Peachtree coming out? And I would say something vague, but what I meant was I'm never writing more Peachtree Bluff. Um, and yeah. so in 2020, I mean, during like the real kind of dark days of the pandemic, it was weird because it had been a while and, you know, I, I had a another book already out and another one coming and Pete Street Love was a little bit in my rear view mirror, even though I loved it, but I just sort of got this uptick and people saying again, like every read the series, we write another book in the series and um, like kind of a lot of them. And like, actually my publisher was getting some too. And so it was something that we had talked about and I kind of joked about like, what is this? This is so weird. People want to go back to Pete Street Bluff. Yeah. Um, and so when I got the idea for the story, I knew I wanted to pitch it, but I really wasn't sure you know, if my publisher would say yes, because I thought they might be completely done with Peachtree Bluff. They don't want to go back. Um, and so when I pitched the idea, I was going to go back and like take some emails and, and put them in. I thought like feels kind of personal. Like I don't want to take people's emails and like send them, you know, to my publisher. So I went on Facebook and said, who wants to go back to Peachtree Bluff for Christmas? And I think it was the most popular Facebook post I've ever had, which was really fun. Um, and so I sent that post in with my email of my pitch for the book. And, um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I really think it had a lot to do with, you know, just seeing that people really wanted to do it and to go back really had a, a lot to do with it. Um, but then, you know, people really did. They would send me like, I want to make sure that so-and-so is in this book or that such and such happens in this book. Cause it had been a few years. So people had things they wanted to know and like where people have been. And so at some point I started to feel all this pressure. Cause I was like this really, and truly, I mean, I wanted to write the book. I had a good idea. I thought I had a good idea for the story, yeah. but I wanted to make sure, like, I was like, this is a book I'm writing for readers really more than anything. Yeah. So I want to make sure that they get what they want. And every now and then I would go on Facebook and I'd be like, okay, I'm working on Christmas and Peachtree Bluff. What do you absolutely want to see in this book? And it wasn't like plot points or anything, but it was more like coffee cow better be in this one. Or, you know, we, we want to make sure that, you know, we see the dogs or, you know, whatever it was. Like they, people had really specific things they wanted to see. And I think I worked them all into the that's book. Awesome. Oh, that's so awesome. It was, it was a book by committee. I really. love it. You crowdsourced it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I know that your read our readers influence what we write and we think about them and we wonder, you know, so you you just took it more directly. It's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's nice too because it was the world you created. So you were just yeah. asking people to remind you of the things that were beautiful and important about that world, which I think is yeah. which is, I think is awesome. And then you put it all in. Yeah, I mean it, it really it was fun. And and there wasn't anything like too outlandish that anyone was like, oh, we must see. It was all pretty it was things that I was like, okay, got that. But it was funny because um now I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something in there. Oh, I do know what it was, but I'm not gonna say because it might ruin it for people who haven't read it yet. But there was a character that I put in the book that my editor was kind of like, you know, I don't really know that we need this character in there. Like I know they're important in the first books, but time has passed and it's not really related to the family anymore. And I was like, no, I've gotten so many emails asking like what happened Aww. to this guy. Like, no, we are going to let people know what happened to him. So um, it really was, it was like, you know, writing. Oh, I know, I know what happened to him. It was Jim. I don't want to say anything. Jim Kintori. I'm, yes. I'm really regretting. I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to ask Jim Kintori if he would come on the show tonight. Oh, something like catastrophic would have happened to the show and it would have been is your he, fault. Is he, the, is he the storm? Is he the storm stud or the hurricane hunk? Which is it? We've got live questions coming in. Debbie yeah. Cooperman Stone, um, Christy, wants to know, there are so <laughs> many more stories you could write about Peachtree Bluff. Are you going to go there, literally go there again? Um, Maybe. I might. I mean, it's funny how once you get back into something, like it, as I was writing that book, I was like, oh, I know what the next, I know the next story in the series. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying no. I really, it was so fun to go back there and I get the allure of writing a series because you know the characters, you know yeah. the town. Yeah. It's like visiting with old friends. Um, I don't want to like play it out, you know, like I always want to make sure that I'm writing like my next best book, but yeah. I kind of think I have a really good idea for another Peachtree Bluff book. So, I mean, it's possible that I might write another one, but, um, in the meantime, I mean, the wedding veil comes out in March. Um, I'm working on something for 2023. I mean, not, not literally right now while <laughs> on the road, <laughs> but, um, although y'all 300 events. Richard was doing. Did, he, did I hear him right? I was thinking I didn't hear him right. He must, I think he must have meant virtuals too. That yeah, he must have meant. Yeah, but three hundred. 
That's, I need a map thinking three. about it. I know. Oh, I mean, I think I have like 30 and it's, it's a lot. No, I think you have about 300. <laughs> it feels like that. No, um, no, I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Um, but so, yes, so there, there could be more Peachtree Bluff and, um, you know, time will tell, but if there is, it will be a couple of years from now. It will not be like, I'm not going to write, you know, 14 more Peachtree books in a row or anything like that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how Christmas and Peachtree Bluff go. It's <laughs> going right already. I just want to exactly. amazing already. Okay. Jenny Adams wants to know, did you interview people who stayed during a hurricane instead of evacuating? I mean, I kind of didn't have to because um, I'm trying to like think of something to equate it to, but I mean, but you guys know, like if you've lived through something like that, like when you come home, everyone's telling their stories. It's kind of like, it's kind of like even now already, like everyone's talking about, you know, their last trip they took before the pandemic or like where they were like two days before the shutdown and they had to scramble. It's like that kind of, um, everyone's telling their story about what happened during the hurricane. And, um, so I just had so many people just happenstance talking about, you know, all the things that happened when they stayed. Um, and also, I mean, I didn't stay during that storm, but I mean, I had been through some hurricanes before, um, you know, in Beaufort and other places and tornadoes and, you know, and I think that's what made Florence so bad. And you'll see that kind of in the story. It wasn't just a hurricane. It was a hurricane with tornadoes. Um, and that's what ended up happening to our house. It wasn't even really the hurricane. It was a tornado. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, but, uh, it it would definitely be scary to live through. And I tell you what, I'm glad that I was not there. Yeah. You evacuated. Yeah. Yeah. So Christy, Deborah Devlin Beauvais says, I got to know you through Friends and Fiction and found the Peachtree Bluff series. I'm so happy you've written another book. Thank you. So that's a sweet comment. And Karen Delari would like to know, um, and this is actually a question for her husband, she says, he's curious to know if you're willing to share how much creative freedom do you have with writing your books versus the influence or direction from a publisher or editor? Hmm. A whole, whole lot. I mean, I think we, I think we would, it's kind of for all of us. So yeah, I think we would all say that though. Yeah. 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 And I don't think they put a whole lot of emphasis on, I mean, I don't think they have a whole lot of, I'm not saying they don't, they don't have the ability to have a lot of input on it. What, what we write, they do. Um, But, but I think they generally tend to kind of leave that up to us, which is really cool. Um, And I mean, you know, I think they certainly, there's certainly, if they don't think it's a good idea, you're probably never going to start writing the book to begin with. Right. Yes. Yes. So sorry. So to back up, if it's just, you're pitching an idea and they're like, well, that's not going to work. You know, that certainly happens. But um, I think once we're kind of in, they, you know, and I, and I think we all are at a point where we have editors that we trust and we want their opinion and we like to know what they think. And we're reading from our one perspective. Yes. And so to get to have these other people's perspectives, from someone that you really, really trust is very helpful. Well, didn't you, didn't you ask them, Christy, what do you think? And they immediately went, yes, Yes. your editor. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I was shocked. I mean, that really, really surprised me because I, um, I had thrown around the idea at the end of Southern side of paradise of like, what if we wrote an, you know, what do you think? Like, should we end Peachtree Bluff? Should we do more? And I, I felt ready to end it at that point, but I thought, what if I come back there one day? And um, my editor at the time said, I think you should totally go back to Peachtree Bluff, but I think it should be a different family. 
And I was like, yeah, I don't really have any interest in that. Like the, the Murphys yeah. to me were kind of peach yeah. off at that moment. And I yeah. didn't really have any interest. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years and I thought the answer could be, no, we're kind of finished with peach tree bluff. Let's move forward. I really, yeah. I really truly, um, I, I think when I tell the story now, I sound like I was more confident in it than I really was. Um, my agent thought it was a really good idea because the series had just continued to kind of have these legs um, after those couple of years, but um, we weren't really sure. And, um, and I've said this in my talks, but um, I started writing the book. I pitched the idea and they were, and my editor was like, well, I like it, but I can't get you a deal, you know, until after Christmas. And I don't know, you know, I don't know. I like it, but they, they might say no. Um, and so I wrote it anyway. And so it was kind of my, and I thought, well, awesome. if they don't buy it, I'll do something with it. Yeah. She wrote 4,000 words a day for 20 days, by the way. Yeah. Which is like for, for, uh, you know, I guess for people who, who aren't professional writers, that's like warp speed. Yep. Yeah. That's like oh, fiction warp. on Red Bull. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you. That's, like, that's that. like Lois Lane at the typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say this too. And I think that goes back to the point of series. You know, when you, I know that town so well, and I know those yeah. women. Uh oh, she froze up. Oh, you froze. Oh, oh are, are we back? back? You're back. Okay. Thawed. It was really fun. So, anyway, thanks guys for being there and supporting me and helping me power through to write it. Right. Locke says she's a machine. You oh, left, us, you left yeah. us in the dust, baby. I know. You were All like, right. I'm going to join you. And then the next thing you know, we were just looking at smoke, baby. Just That's smoke. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Y'all, we want to remind you, all of you out there, to check out our Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Mm -hmm. We will always post links under announcements each time a new one goes out. It is so much fun with our rock star librarian, Ron Block, and it's totally different from the show. So if you like hanging out with us here, we know you love hanging out with us there. And he might be stopping by the after show. I'm not positive. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, they are every Friday. And this past week, Ron and I talked to Christy. Ron talked to me <laughs> and to Christy about our new novels. I've been on the road. Y'all give me a break. And this week, Ron talks with Jenna Bloom about her memoir, Woodrow on the Bench. And to quote him on an email to me, get your Kleenex. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Um, well, speaking of people who may or may not be appearing on the after show, we mm -hmm. neither confirm nor deny. Mm -hmm. We <laughs> and Brenda Gardner run our phenomenal, phenomenal, I just added an extra syllable, <laughs> um, official uh, Friends of Fiction official book club, which is a group that's separate from us. They're nine and a half thousand members strong. I mean, they're just growing and growing. Uh, this month, they're reading Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty, which they'll be discussing with Patty on November 15th. So it's a great group. Um, it's an extension of this group, but they do so much uh, more you know, different stuff. And it's just a great place to be. Yeah, and next week, join us right here at 7 p.m. as usual as we welcome Zibby Owens. Um, and then in two weeks, join us and meet Armando Lucas Correa and Catherine Ray. And if you're ever wondering what's on our schedule or our dance card, it's always on the Friends and Fiction website, as <clears throat> excuse me, as the web, as, as well as a sidebar of events on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. 
And one more thing, YouTube, which is, you know, you can do more than learn how to paint a pumpkin on YouTube. (laughs) We want to remind you we're on YouTube every week. We are live there. The show stays there with titles. And now we have clips of each show. So you can watch bits and peach, bitches and pieces at your leisure. Bits and pieces. I can say that. Just head over to Friends and Fiction YouTube. What are you laughing about? You think I can say that? I can say bitch if I want to. You're not the boss of me. We know we are not. We know. We know. We're aware. (laughs) Okay, so go to Friends and Fiction YouTube and click subscribe (laughs) and you can catch us too on the brand new loco plus platform which just launched last week and that's it that's me and that's it that's my cue that's it for our show tonight but as always we'll be continuing the celebration on the after show so stick around after the credits roll to find out what's written on Mary Kay Andrews' no, hat. Yes. Suspense is killing us. Um, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the world behind Christmas and Beach Tree Block, celebrating with our dear friends, uh, Ron Block, Lisa Harrison, and Brenda Gardner. And we thank you so much for your support. I hope you'll consider picking up Christmas and Peach Tree Block. And we'll see you back here next week, same time, same place, as we welcome Zibby Owens. See you in 30 seconds in the after Bye, her damn book. Yeah. I knew it. Oh, we were betting whether you'd come back with the hat on. Okay. I can't even really tell what it's on it. What is it? Says, it says, happy holidays. Oh, my because God. Because somebody, some several somebodies, decided to ridicule me because I was trying Last week, I was trying to be all hip and trendy, and I might have said, holla, and then... Did you already have that hat, or did somebody... No, Kristen sent it to me. There's a t-shirt, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's like a a tidal wave of ridicule. (laughs) It's supposed to light up. There's like a button that says on, off. But you oh know, my gosh. and you got to tell everybody what somebody brought you when we were on book tour last week. I will. So when we were in Sanibel sometime in the past two days, um, someone brought me a loaf of challah bread. Was it Nancy Stetson? It was Nancy. Yeah, it was Nancy Stetson, a a great writer who did a a feature story for the Southwest Florida paper about all four of us. And she brought a loaf of challah bread. That's hilarious. Okay, Christy, how are you feeling about the book and your tour so far? And tell us everything. Tell me how you're feeling. Being with you guys has been so much fun. Seeing all of our friends and fiction people has been so much fun. Um, I want to put some peer pressure on from the outside (laughs) because I have really suggested that um, that everyone come on tour with me on March 29th for the wedding veil. And like, I'm not having any takers so far. So friends (laughs) and fiction, if you could just really like 
plug that that we think that would all be a really fun idea no but it's just so fun to all be together i mean it's just so fun to like be on stage together and talk together and um just to see all of these amazing friends and fiction readers and 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 non-friends and fiction readers too that we're indoctrinating slowly exactly plus Kristen, Kristen brings brings the snack and the wine game it's a right. it's like a I major no. snackage wine game that Kristen has going on and well, the question be- game the q a yeah. game man yeah she's like she's so good did you guys invite me for the snacks and the wine is that what this well, was all maybe. about we doesn't really have a new book but we, but like, but we kept you for the, but we kept you for the great question why, oh, why, why would you ask that my favorite why, why, why would you think that you, 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 <laughs> you should see the spread that she brought up here tonight. I mean, all the food, it's unbelievable. She like really fed me and it's incredible. Um, but also I think my favorite moment of tour was when Patty, when Kristen asked Patty a question and I did it too. So it was, I'm not saying this about you. Like and Patty said, gosh, I have to think about that. You know, we didn't know what she was going to ask. And Kristen was like, I sent all of you the questions for all of the events. I read the questions. I want that known. I I read the questions. I was Patty and I didn't read the questions. I never would have called it out, except Patty was like, well, she didn't send us the questions. I was like, I actually no, but I didn't mean it that way. I was like, oh, I have to actually think about that. I didn't know what you were going to ask. Well, to be and to be fair, my book's been out for a month. All I'm doing is trying to finish a book on tour. That's all. Yes. Okay. Yes. So awesome. my report cards might have said a couple times, Patty was unprepared. So, <laughs> no, so you're just Patty. echoing the sentiment that has been stated in previous times. <laughs> well, my report, I'll- yeah, my report card always said, Kathleen visits with her neighbors. <laughs> Which means won't shut up. Yeah. I I will just let you know that um, we're all reading a lovely script for our after show here that um, someone who was in no way, in no way, shape or form in charge of tonight's show had to write. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I know. Basically, I'm just, I'm just bossy. When Kristen, I'm bossy, but I bring the food and the wine and it all smooths out. When Kristen gets here, we can all relax because we know it's going to get done. It's basically right. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. Kristen's here, and she will fix it. It's just Kristen will fix it. I put stickers or something. Yeah. All right. I think we have guests. Yes. We have guests. And Lisa and Brenda and Sean and Meg. And talk a little bit. The gang's all here. Holla. I feel like we need a legit friends in fiction Christmas t-shirt that says happy holidays. Well, no, Kristen sent one to me. She can send you the link. Kristen can send you. We need your face on it. Like your whole face. No, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Thank you, Ron. I got one vote. Kristen's popping the champs now. Well, we're celebrating somebody's new book, and I'm just drinking. So, thank <laughs> <laughs> you guys so much for joining me to celebrate. And, um, you know, Christmas in Peachtree Bluff is about a family who gathers against all odds to salvage an incredible Christmas full of love and heart after the storm of the century rips their lives and their towns apart.
So I don't think any of us have had anything quite that devastating as the loss of our homes right before the holidays. Um, but there have probably been some challenges that we've all had to overcome at Christmas time, or maybe even challenges that you're facing this year. So if that's the case, I'd love to hear about that. And if not, I'd love to hear about your thoughts of the magic and power of the holiday season to wash away our troubles and fill us with hope and love and joy. So our darling Ron, can you start us off? Why do I got to go first? <laughs> well, just if we ask Kathy to go, if we ask Mary Kay to go first, this is what she'll do. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Right. okay, so I actually I'm hoping that we're going to do a special podcast for the holidays, and I'm saving a story for that one. Okay, but, oh, well, but, but for tonight, I have, you know, everybody who knows me knows that I grew up in a very small town, and there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of people around and stuff. But one of the things I loved, and it didn't always happen on Christmas, but maybe soon afterwards, but there was always this beautiful snowfall that came down and you could see it reflect in the lights. And it, as it came down and kind of landed on the street, no snow plows, it just, that's when it really felt, felt like Christmas. It felt like the holidays and a new beginning. And it was just really awesome. And I still think of it today. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Oh, Lisa, yeah. it looks like you're up. <laughs> Lisa's up. John can appear on the show and part behind the scenes magic. Um, for me, I haven't really had too many challenges around the holidays, but last year, because of COVID, it was such a challenging time. I decided to put my Christmas tree up in July last year, and I never took it down. I'm like, look, there no rules, <laughs> Christmas trees up. I have Halloween decorations on my Christmas tree right now. Oh my <laughs> I'll take them off. I put... St. Patrick's Day decorations on there. It just brightens my living room and makes me feel good through a challenging time. So I feel like the holidays can always make you smile no matter no matter when it is. Oh, so that's how that's you so say. My Christmas is permanent. Permanent. <laughs> and we had a tree in the, our backyard that we put Christmas lights on a year ago, and they've never turned off. We've left them up all year. Oh, same, awesome. same thing as you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so Brenda, my darling, what about you? Yes, well, I would say one of my favorite traditions is um, my daughter and I putting up our Christmas tree, which uh, sometimes I have a real tree, but I have this large um, artificial pre-lit tree, and each year we get to struggle with the three pieces it's in and getting them all out of the closet (laughs) and getting them all together and all of the lights working. But it's all, I look forward to it. And then she gets to hear the story of all the ornaments every time, and she loves it, I can tell. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Meg, what about you? I keep forgetting this week calling (laughs) Um. So this is actually very prescient considering your book, Christy, and the date on the calendar today. But Superstorm Sandy was in 2012, right? Oh, right. Pretty much on this set of days, it went on for days and days. But um, Dr. Doom, Jim Cantori himself, was here. We prefer Storm Dr. Doom is a much more appropriate name. It's just, yeah. it's just like your book, but... Um, the reason why it affected our Christmas was because we lost our um, our entire HVAC system in our house and our family room 
we have like a sunken LOL level in our house and that was uh, filled with river that came in through the crawl space and oh. um, devastated our family room and my husband's office and the garage and the crawl space. But what was in the crawl space was the entire heating and cooling system for the whole house. So we didn't, um, in the whole run up to the holidays, which is supposed to be super festive, it was uh, not. <laughs> and it took oh, weeks and weeks to get, because um, it was a huge project to redo and to redo the, the HVAC system. And we didn't get heat back until December like 23rd. Um, oh my gosh. And we were like determined to make Christmas normal. I mean, my kids were, that was nine years ago. They're going to be 18 and 20. So they were little, nine and 11. And so we tried to make it as normal as possible. Um, you know, like we were decorating and we put the tree up and we put it in a different spot and we made sure the house looked as good as it could. Just don't turn around because it's a shit show behind you. <laughs> you know? yeah. and the decorations on the outside were great. But we went in the garage to retrieve our Christmas decorations to decorate the tree. And um, all the boxes, we didn't realize all the boxes, water had gotten it, river water had gotten it. And they were all ruined, like all the ones, like the kids made, all the handmade Uh. ones covered in black mold. And um, so this does have a happy ending. put it up on Facebook, not as like a woe is me, but just as like, what else could happen? You know, like, good God. And I, you know, I said like, we lost most of our Christmas decorations. Well, that day and for the next three or four days, people just started showing up with stuff and, and delivering oh. things and stripping things. And we, now we have the most spectacular collection of Christmas tree ornaments because oh. people were like, here, take this whole box of stuff we're not using. Or I just ordered you these 12 things from pottery barn or whatever so oh, people wow. really did come together and we made the best of it and then the heat did come on two days before christmas and that was uh that warm thing right up but wow i never i knew love that. that story That's oh man all right sean what about you oh yeah. i was all prepared to be funny and witty but i just remembered oh, you know what? oh no yeah, i just remembered last christmas my dad um had covid and he was in the hospital Oh. And he, he was like a step away from getting on a respirator. And, uh, you know, it's just, we were just calling every day. I, I'm here in New Mexico. My whole family's on the East Coast. And my sisters went to, to help my mom and take care of all that stuff. And it felt really weird to be so far from it, you know. And thank God my dad had a full recovery, got out of the hospital. And still, still yeah. Good. yeah, dad. That was a hard one. It's definitely hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I remember that. Yeah. 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 Kathy, Mary Kay, what about you? Well, one year, I don't know, nine or ten years ago, in in our previous house, in the same little Mayberry with Cocktail neighborhood that we've lived in for so many years, um, everybody knows how much I love to decorate for Christmas. And so we've been on the neighborhood Christmas tour of homes, I don't know, maybe five times. So we were on the Christmas tour of homes that year. And of course, I'd made my whole family insane by saying, you got to do this, get out. <laughs> um, and so we had put up the Christmas tree in this little sunroom in the front of the house. And my husband had strung the lights and I had put my whole collection of vintage glass, shiny bright ornaments on it. And some neighbor friends 
jokesters were walking up to the house to give us some crap about, are you guys going to be ready? You know, have you swept the house? Because I was making everyone insane. And as they were walking up, the Christmas tree went, boom. All the glass ornaments shattered. And they, these two guys looked at each other and went, dude, we're out. Ran, ran away. And then, so then my husband, Mr. MKA basically ended up, I mean, I don't know how many were smashed and ruined, but we had to, you know, we had to have the tree back up. So he, he literally wired the tree to the, to the wall. Oh my gosh. And then I went out and bought more ornaments. So it does have a heavy ending. (laughs) Hoarder's going to hoard. (laughs) Decorator's going to decorate. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever had anything super challenging or terrible happen at Christmas time. But I remember last year, you know, just in the midst of COVID, and you guys all know we were playing it so safe and we were being. Oh, uh-oh. Anything. So I'll, you know, did we come back? All, all of these, you know, all of these normal um, Christmas things we did. Like I said earlier, our tradition was always going to Disney and doing the monorail loop at the hotels, we didn't do that. Um, and I felt very responsible for making Christmas magical for a four-year-old, because that's, you know, that's the age. You only have those few years where it's pure and magical and, you know, even everything related to the Christmas spirit. And um, I was so worried about disrupting that. But I think that what we learned at the end of the day was it wasn't about places you go or you know, the gifts you give or any of those things. It was that we were together and we were safe and we were with our family and we loved each other and you know, we were surrounded by love. And I, I think that's something that Christmas and Peachtree Bluff celebrates too. They don't have the Christmas that they're expecting to have, but um, they have each other. And that's that at the end is what matters. That's true. Yeah. So true. That's true. That's true. So true. Annie Henry. Well, I was going to tell uh, I knocked over the Christmas tree story, <laughs> but it's not. It's just, I was. Sorry, please. I was pregnant with Megan, and she was a week overdue, and we decided to have a dinner party. And I was so proud of how I decorated the house. We were, we'd only been married a couple years. We had this new house. I was pregnant with our baby. And I went behind the Christmas tree to turn up the stereo for the Christmas music and forgot about my stomach. So um, I knocked down the entire Christmas tree and it went shattering everywhere. And anyway, but I think, you know, when we talk about, um, trying to find and fill it with hope and love and joy. It's never about all the the presents and all of that. But I was really, really sad last year because I didn't get to see my daughter and son-in-law and, and granddaughter, um, you know, for that whole time during COVID. And Christmas has always been a big family holiday. All the parents, all the grand, you know, the whole thing. And at the last minute, they were able to come and the entire house was full of toddlers and my sister-in-law and my nieces and both sets of parents. And it was just, it it was like a movie where we thought it was going to be this empty sadness and it was pure and utter chaos. And it was amazing. 
Well, I, I mean, I guess this this influenced Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, but the first Christmas after Florence, we were in this little condo. And I remember my husband being like, let's just get like a little tiny tree. And I was like, absolutely not. We were having the biggest Christmas we've ever had. And I went on this giant tree. No could walk around in the condo. Like if you wanted to get to the kitchen, you had to walk around the tree. If you wanted to get to our room, you had to walk around the tree. But man, we were having that tree. And so um, the next year, we moved back into the house right after Thanksgiving. The first night that we were there, I turned the bathroom on upstairs. The plumbing exploded and it flooded the downstairs like living room. And um, to the point, like, some of our workers cried. Like, they were like, how can this happen? Like, it's this is just cannot happen. So um, they were great, and they tried to put it back together really quickly, but we had to get our Christmas tree. So we had, like, this whole front part of the house that was being fixed again and had the ceilings and walls all out again um, being fixed. And so we put, and all the brand-new furniture that was also ruined by the thousands of gallons of water exploding <sighs> So um, we put the Christmas tree somewhere different than where we normally put it, and we decorated, and we had hot cocoa, and we pretended that there was not visqueen all over the house, and we acted like it was normal. Um, and so uh, the next day, um, they had worked really hard on the house, and it was getting back together, and someone came to install the new rug in the living room that had just flooded. And they had it on a dolly, and they whipped the dolly around. The rug went into the Christmas tree. It <sighs> It smashed all the ornaments on the side. Oh. It was December 29th, so we had all these hand blood oh. ornaments. And little girl there, and I remember him looking at me like, because I'm really big on my ornaments, and I was like, it's fine. We're going to go out, and we're going to find something new, and we're going to put it on that side of the tree, oh and we're going to keep going. And so that year, we went out, and we bought like a thousand jingle bells. I'm not really a thousand. It's probably like 150, but jingle bells. And we put them all over the side of the tree where all the ornaments had smashed. And so, um, and every time we would go by, someone would be like, every time the bell rings, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> you know, though I've grown old, the, still, the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly oh. believe. So um, it was kind of good. And now every year we have all these jingle bells and, um, and it's, it's kind of great. So anyway, you know, you just, you just power through and um, you make the magic where you can. And um, that you are really grateful for things that you sometimes take for granted, I think. So we're really looking for a normal, yeah. great, easy Christmas. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. But um, actually, and we were all at Oxford Exchange for Patty's launch and um, in Savannah. I mean, not at Oxford Exchange, at the Paris market. And they had all these beautiful felt ornaments. And I've made a pact with myself that I will never again buy breakable ornaments. I'm just not going to do it. And so they had all these felt ornaments and I got this huge bag of felt ornaments that I thought Will would really like. So I'm excited oh, to take them to <laughs> <laughs> I'll have jingle bells and felt ornaments and it'll be fine. <laughs> all is well then. So. Yeah. Right well, thank you guys so much for joining us here tonight. This was so fun. And um, Paula. <laughs> Congratulations. Paula. <laughs> Yes. I miss you guys. Thank you for coming on tour and thank I miss you. you too. Thank you for writing yeah, this buy the damn book. book. Buy the damn yeah. book. Buy your book. Buy your book. Thanks, everybody. It's a great thank book. Christine. Cheers. Thank you, Christine. Enjoy it. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. 
You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.